I live in a bubble. Inside that bubble, I can drop my shoulders. I can take deep breaths. I can find humor and love and rest. I'm creative, I'm productive, and I'm silly. Trust soaks the peat under the moss on the floor of my bubble. I feel it squish between toes. Oh, man. Love it. The bubble moves with me. I can step outside the bubble. The bubble can subtly pop and explosively vanish. Indeed, when outside the bubble, I'm a bit or much more tense. I no longer feel that trust-soaked peat between my toes. These days, I see, hear, and think about trust everywhere. A dial of trust overlays almost everything, as if it's floating on the video of my mind's eye. I see it with family, friends, work, screens, podcasts, news. I'm frightened how low the dial of trust appears most of the time. Sometimes the dial tries to break itself, rotating lower and lower. I'm a student of people, communities, leadership, health, and learning. But I'm obsessed with understanding, appreciating, and strengthening trust. Oh, goodness, Joy, I didn't plan this introduction when we met or when we recorded. This poem, this preface, just appeared. My friend and coach, Jan Oldenburg, introduced me to Joy Mayer when I told Jan about our Safe Living in a Pandemic initiative as my obsession with trust first bloomed. We sought expertise in trusting media. Media, where regular people seek answers to their questions about safe living. Joy Mayer is the director of Trusting News, a project that examines perceptions of news and trains journalists in transparency and engagement strategies. That work follows a 20-year career in newsrooms and teaching. She is an adjunct faculty member at the Pointer Institute and spent 12 years teaching at the Missouri School of Journalism. As Joy says at the end of our chat, I think those of us who are asking these questions about trust, my words, across different industries can learn a lot from each other. Welcome to Health Hats, the podcast. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged cisgender old white man of privilege who knows a little about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of health care. Let's make some sense of all of this. Joy, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I really like your work. Thank you. This whole topic of trust is just, 
It's never ending, isn't it? Yeah, it's complex and sticky and yeah, difficult to peel apart for sure. And therefore super challenging and a lot of job security for people who, who study it. There's just so much to look at. There is. What is Trusting News? Trusting News is a project that started quite small, actually, based on my curiosity and desire to learn more about how people decide what news to trust. I had worked for a while teaching at the Missouri School of Journalism and working in a student-staffed newsroom there. And the field in journalism, we call what I was doing community engagement or audience engagement. But basically, my work was involved a lot of talking to news consumers and being the face of a newsroom and understanding what they thought about our work. And for mission-driven, responsible, ethical journalism, where the journalists see themselves as really performing a public service, we should care deeply about who we aim to serve and whether we're actually doing it and what they think about our work. And so that was my job, keeping the focus of the news squarely on the people we aim to serve and being responsive to their feedback. I was realizing more and more that for for too many people, there was a basic level of distrust that prevented them from accessing what we were doing and finding it credible. And so when I was leaving my job teaching there, I thought, I really want to understand more about what trust even is and what journalists can do about it? How can we empower journalists to take steps to earn trust? And so um, what started as part-time small research project has developed into a a bigger program. Is that your, like your business now? I mean, it's nonprofit, but yeah, that's my full-time job. Uh Um, There there are three of us on staff and we train newsrooms and work with newsrooms individually on um, how to demonstrate credibility and actively earn trust. So your audience are journalists, and I think you said at one point teachers? Yep, yep. We are a supply-side organization, not a demand side. So we definitely work with and learn from people who work on news literacy and media literacy more generally, but our audience is not the general public. Okay. Um, We help journalists train their audiences to be better news consumers, but we are not a direct to public operation. We, our audience is journalists. Okay. I was, I was listening to, what was it this morning? Some podcast and somebody was going on about, that just isn't true. Nobody thinks that. And I'm thinking, what do you mean by nobody? Does that mean you like did a study and it wasn't like, it wasn't like 95%, so it couldn't be provable or what do you mean nobody? What are you talking about nobody? Maybe nobody is 75%. And it was just, anyway, I thought, okay. we're not careful with our language, are we? Right. This is good that I'm talking to you. Where you and I met was in this safe living in a pandemic initiative. I would say our end user, regular people trying to live safely in a pandemic. But like you, they're not really our audience because that's just like too big of an audience. And so more were about people who are trusted by regular people. And whether they're professionals or not, it's those people that are our audience. But as we started trying to think about this issue of trust, we quickly realized there was no way we were going to be a good housekeeping seal of approval for anything. The variation in what people trust is just too monster. We didn't have the money, the bandwidth, the interest. and But we did come up with that trust occurs in a context for people. So very simply, their trust may be about their circumstances, their personal histories, their culture. And then we started getting things about 
like their attitude towards personal rights and re community responsibility. That's a continuum, and it depends where people live on that. That th their risk tolerance so varies, that their comfort with uncertainty, and the strength of their critical thinking. But in a way, that isn't trust. It's just like about trust or the world that trust lives in. Does that resonate with you? Does that, how does that figure in your work? All of that resonates because the news landscape is very complicated and people can get information from so many sources and the individual sort of metrics we each use to decide what is credible, that's very personal. And uh, we place, you know, emphasis on different factors. And some of us think about that a lot. And some of us don't think about it at all. I'm amazed sometimes by the lack of attention people pay to where they're sort of spending that trust. I think it's useful to think of it as sort of budget. Everybody trusts something and you can spend it haphazardly, spend your trust haphazardly and not really give any thought to it. Or you can have a carefully mapped out plan and everyone has to decide what to trust, but some people aren't. It's by default. Whatever comes at people, they decide it's true or they make a quick judgment about a whole brand or a whole source of information or a friend that they think thinks like them and decide to trust everything from that friend. All of that is true and it's very complicated. And one thing that we talk about a lot in our work is one really simple way to look at trust is the difference between effective trust and cognitive trust. So people who deal with facts like cognitive trust, that means here's the list of why you can trust us. Here are our sources. Mm -hmm. Here is our professional credibility. Here, um, we're going to overwhelm you with information and give you the reasons you can trust us. But none of that makes any sense unless you have effective trust, which is, do I feel a connection to you? Do I think you have integrity and ethics? Are you on my side or my team? Do I think that you're a good person or a reputable organization? That sort of affinity level of trust. And so I think that when we try to peel apart trust and just looking at your sort of list of what people bring to that, people will have different values that they bring to their decisions. And a lot of it is not articulated and not something you can really talk people out of. I think right. those of us who work in trust like to think that if we just talk enough about right. our credibility, that we will be persuasive. And that's just not the case. So the word you use was affective as opposed to effective. Yeah. Okay. Affective. It is interesting, the talking people out of changing people's minds about trust, about something. First of all, I'm terrible at it. And I've never, and I don't like conflict. I'm not the guy to try to talk you out of anything. Yeah, but people try to talk me out of stuff. Absolutely. And so I think it's really important to look at trust as a spectrum because some people are not persuadable. Some people are convinced that there's a microchip in the vaccine or right. that, that everything, if it appears in the Washington Post, it must be invented and or driven by a political agenda and nothing, I will never trust anything that comes from them. So if you are that committed mm -hmm. to your mistrust, then you're not yeah. the focus of my work. Right. Uh, we might get there eventually. But for now, I think there are a lot of people who either make decisions very casually and don't think about it very much, who genuinely want to consume information responsibly and aren't sure where to trust, who are overwhelmed. All of my friends and family who email me and say, Joy, is this true? Can you check this for me? Or is this an okay source? And they want to know, but it, it can be genuinely quite difficult to tell what the source of information is and whether it's credible. So if your audience is journalists and teachers and their audience is consumers, how 
for those people who are susceptible to learning more about trust and their self-awareness of how they trust, what are the guideposts of that? So our work is based on a foundation of transparency and engagement. So transparency is how do you pull back the curtain on your motivations and your processes and your decision-making in a way that builds credibility? And engagement is how do you join conversations about your work to offer counter-narrative about it? All that starts with understanding audience feedback and misperceptions and misassumptions. If you notice that your audience thinks that you make decisions based on money, that obviously you must cover stories that will make you a bunch of money. You're going to sensationalize stories. We've had newsrooms hearing from people saying you're sensationalizing the pandemic because it drives ratings. Well, okay, so what is your counter narrative? So a news director comes back with a message that says, actually, the local um, business market is really struggling because of COVID and that affects our advertising and our income is down this month. So we don't have a financial incentive. To That's a counter narrative that is educating okay. people about how you operate. So we talk about what is it people think about your work and what do you wish they knew about your work? And how do you how do you take time and build into your process as a journalist what it means to tell that story? You have ethics? Oh, interesting. Is your ethics policy published? What does it cover? And how do you draw attention to it? Mm-hmm. Do you link to it from stories where you reference it? Do you talk about it on air? Do you put it in your email newsletters? Or do you hope that buried on your website somewhere that people find it? and take the time to consume it and understand how it relates to your day-to-day decisions. Which is like a microscopic number of people. Right. Either the yeah. people who love you or hate you, probably. Not right. the busy people just wondering how right. to decide when you when they scroll through your, their Facebook feed and your headline is there, whether it's reputable. Wow. This business of self-awareness, like that to me, I don't know why, but that really hooks me. First of all, in a way, self-awareness is just, it's about listening. In this case, to yourself. And when you're talking about this news manager, that's somebody who's listening to the consumers of news. Right. That's hard to do. You're busy. Yeah. And, you know, I just interviewed that particular news director, actually, and about how he makes time for engagement. And he says basically that he doesn't understand why he would be in business if he didn't make time for it. And that some days that's mostly what he does. Um, And that that is if you want to stay in business, isn't it worth your time to defend your reputation? The news business, the local news business is not in great financial shape. They need to be worried about keeping audience, not losing it. And if you're losing audience because of some basic misperceptions, like people don't know why there would be a paywall on a news site. People will leave comments saying, you're so greedy. Doesn't advertising pay the bills? Why do you, why can't, why are you even sharing the story if I can't read it? Do you have a counter narrative about what percentage of your budget comes from community support, why you rely on it, how many local people you employ, what would happen if you didn't do it? The fact that people get five free articles a month free, so they must care about local news if they've reached the paywall, right? There are all these things you can say in response. Mm -hmm. And so you can either cede the conversation to your critics and let them attack your integrity in the comments on a conversation you're hosting, you can cede it to your critics. Or you can show up with a counter narrative and be part of the conversation and correct the record. Don't let them have the last word about your integrity. Well, another thing that that was important to me in my development in terms of understanding was that there was a difference between factual and trustworthy. And 
since I'm involved a lot in the research community, I realize that there's very little that's factual compared to commentary. What does what do the facts mean? There's more of it. There's more about what the what do the numbers? What does the what somebody is laying out as a fact? What does it mean? What's their interpretation of it? There are people who don't trust facts. My sodium is this level, and my sodium is 138. Okay, but that by itself doesn't really mean anything to me. It's is that a good number or a bad number? So then that's opinion, that's interpretation. But so how does that fit in this? trying to manage. It's sometimes interpretation or opinion, and it's sometimes just context. Like for people of your age and weight or whatever, and otherwise other health conditions, let's put that sodium number in context. It's not your doctor in helping you interpret that is not just issuing an opinion about whether it's good or bad. She might be just trying to help you understand where it fits in and what it might mean. So the same thing's true in journalism. There are lots of ways to lie with facts. There are lots of ways to say, here is how many people are coming across the border and let people draw their own conclusions. But if they lack the knowledge to say, oh, there's always a surge this time of year, or that was because of this bill signed by this administration or something, then it can be irresponsible to put information out if people might draw their own conclusion. And putting it, choosing how to put it into context is absolutely a matter of judgment. I I think it might be oversimplifying to say it's a matter of opinion. Okay. And I think that whether you have a goal of informing people or persuading people is the real difference. Every journalist has their own expertise, their own perspective on the world, and there's no way to separate us from who we are as human beings. And so absolutely, you're getting something of people's humanity as they make decisions about what to cover and how to cover it. But I do think there's a difference between contextualizing information and opining on it with the goal of persuading people to think a certain way. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. With the sodium, it could be, what was it yesterday or last year? And what is it now? So it's a difference. It's not just a point in time. It could be a continuum. And so then it means something different when you look at where it's headed or the direction it's going or whatever. And so your doctor just to extend the analogy, if she wants you to really walk away from that interaction, having learned something, she's going to anticipate or ask you questions enough to know what assumptions you might jump to about that sodium number. She Mm. might be thinking, oh, we'll test it again next year because it's never been high before. It's probably no big deal. And you could walk away going, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. My sodium is high. And that's where that, like adding that context is really important. Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. Use Abridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com. A-B-R-I-D-G-E dot com. Or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. So, as consumers of information, 
even though I'm I'm up to my eyeballs in this stuff, I don't necessarily feel that I am really good at deciding whether something is trustworthy. I have certain people that I follow because I believe them and they've not let me down. They've shown you in the past. They've earned your trust in the past by giving you things that make sense to you or that are consistent with how you see things or that seem well-researched. Whatever your personal, that's just being efficient to say, well, if I've decided now to trust them, I don't have to assess them every time I've, I've made this decision. Yeah. But then I think like in my relationship with my wife, who I've been with 46, seven years, she's almost always right. It's just the way it is. She is. It's not 100%. And so I still have to think in this particular circumstance, is she right? And and that's somebody I really trust. Mm-hmm. So having so a history. probably trust her integrity that if she weren't right, she would acknowledge it. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Okay. That's a that's an important distinction, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. This political thing of like it's weak to change. That is like beyond bizarre to me. And a lot of people just aren't. Some of that is information literacy in general, like just understanding how research works, right? You told me this last month and now you're telling me this. Yes, we've learned things. Right. The findings have evolved. Yeah. And so people blame the journalists for that too and say, you're not being skeptical enough. You're giving us the wrong information. I trust people less who aren't willing to admit change. Right. That is one way to look at the world. Yes. No, not everyone not, looks at the world that way. What's that? Not everyone looks at the no, world that no, way. No, that's the way I look at it. Okay, in this project, we we started thinking about a trust label, and we took the model of a nutrition label. So, nutrition label, like the sodium, the calories, the whatever. That there's facts that are on the nutrition label, but it doesn't say the food tastes good or is healthy for you. And you have to draw your own conclusion based on that. And we like that model. And and start thinking about if what we're trying to do is increase people's self-awareness about trust, could we design a trust label? And we came up with really simple things like, can I read it? Is it a medium that's comfortable for me? Like I'm a podcaster, but I have people who follow me who are readers. So I do both the podcast and article grade transcript so people who are readers can read. Like we talked about who wrote it or who spoke it. That helps. And do they have a vested interest? Is there research behind it? And sometimes I think that's really exciting. Like we were trying to evolve this trust label. With the idea that this could be crowdsourced like Wikipedia. On the other hand, it seems like nothing. And and I know that my partner in crime, Laura Marshall, says, do you know how long it took to do a nutrition label? Well, that was a 20-year, 30-year process. We're on year one of trying to do something like this. If you were trying to do a trust label, like what would you put on it that would help people be a little bit more self-aware to help them think about trustworthiness. 
It's such a it's such an interesting question and acknowledging the complexity of it off the bat and the imperfect nature of any solution is really important. Okay. Um, there are some interesting efforts within journalism to media bias charts or ratings of news brands that have a lot of research behind it and I think are really useful in terms of plotting certain news brands on a spectrum and helping people understand and just make some basic decisions about what to trust. I think it's I think it's useful. The challenge is that there are so many variables and news organizations are complex and there's a real place for opinion journalism versus news and you're going to cover science differently than you cover sports. I think that assessing brands is different than assessing individual products or individual stories even. Okay, yes. And a lot of authors are independent. So if you have a newsletter I really like, how I decide whether that's trustworthy or credible, I don't have the shortcut there of trusting a brand. So it's complicated. I was looking at, at, at what you sent me in terms of the nutrition label. There are some pieces that really stuck out to me as being especially relevant for my work. I think that the question of do they have a vested interest really jumped out for me, who paid for this or, or what interest is behind it, what sort of influences might be behind it because that is probably the most common pushback of news these days is that it's driven by a political agenda or sometimes a, a financial agenda, a corporate agenda. And therefore I don't trust any of it, or I don't trust this brand because of who owns them or something. And it's interesting because journalists are very skeptical of that. The question of follow the money is something you learn early in journalism school. So who paid for this research? And let's make sure we interview somebody who, who didn't benefit financially from the research as we're assessing whether it's credible and what the impact is. So mm -hmm. it is reasonable as a consumer of information to say who is behind it. And in my field, there's just a lot to pick apart there in terms of the funding of it. Journalists don't talk much about where their money comes from. And it's valid and important to ask questions about that. In terms of the mission or motivation, what is the goal of the organization? What is the goal of this piece? Do I understand whether it is designed to inform me or persuade me? Do I understand um, who the audience is for this publication and who they're talking to and whether I fit into it? Is there an independence from faction of any kind behind the work? Is, there, is that sort of a statement of values that is there? So that's a really interesting one to me that I think goes across a lot of misperceptions of journalism is that sort of question of who's behind it. I think what I just heard you say that is missing from our label is how does the piece advertise itself those are like not the right words but mm -hmm. are they calling it an opinion piece or a factual piece or a story or the that huge problem that i can't i'm so frustrated that as an industry we are still allowing there to be so much confusion and sometimes it's a big problem baked into a whole product like cable news i can't tell when i turn on the tv if somebody talking is paid to share their opinion or sort of analyze or commentate, whether they're doing straight ahead reporting, whether someone's even like a paid staff member or a source. Sometimes it's very hard to tell. There are eight people around a table and I don't know what I'm listening to versus an opinion column written for a newspaper. But, and it might be labeled on the website as opinion, but when you paste it onto Facebook, the word opinion doesn't appear anywhere. And so all somebody sees going by in their feed is this story with this brand and the headline is written in a way that's clearly designed to provoke or, or persuade something, but that labeling doesn't translate to all the different technical platforms. So we are allowing way too much confusion in terms of just the package we put news in and whether people know what it's designed to do, because some people share opinions on purpose. One newsroom we were working with did a community-wide survey and somebody wrote in and said, you need to fire your restaurant reviewer. She's way too biased because they didn't understand that, of course, the person reviewing restaurants is paid 
to share her opinion about the restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of media literacy in my in my world is mm-hmm. just what is this? Is this doing what it sets out to do? And is it being honest in its approach? Yeah. Trying to make complicated things simpler is a bitch. Yeah. And you think about, I'm not a journalist. I'm a podcaster. And But it's a mix of these are my opinions. I try to put sources in, links to more information. But you don't know. I don't know how people take what I say. I just think I'm little Danny Van Leeuwen and I have a big mouth. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and a lot of energy. (laughs) Well, you can't control what people do with what you say, but you can be aware of how you might be misunderstood or um, whether you might be accessible. So how does a journalist do that? Some of it is dependent on the brand level relationships. Why do people tune into this podcast or this TV station? What are they looking for? Are they in a hurry? Are they watching Uh, something while they cook dinner? Do they listen to this because it's an in-depth take on a complicated topic? One note that I made with your question of, can I read it? Is it accessible to me? I was also thinking, does it assume a level of knowledge that I don't have? People are very turned off from news sometimes because journalists often write for other nerds. And the story today about the big transportation infrastructure bill making its way through Congress is going to assume all that I've been following it closely. So I may want that. I may just be dying for the update of what happened in committee since yesterday. Or I might be saying, what's that big thing happening in Congress right now that I'm not paying attention to? And I might just want someone to say, here's what Biden proposed. Here's how this is following up from a campaign promise. Here are the top bullet points so that I don't feel stupid at work when somebody mentions it. So I think people have different relationships uh, yes. to different sources of information, but a basic level of accessibility, is this meeting me where I am on this issue? Right. And it may or may not. That is not really the whether it's trustworthy or not. It's, it's, it is whether it's relevant. This is where trust means so many different things. Do I feel a connection to it? Do I trust it? Some people might mean by that, is it useful? And it's not useful to me if I don't understand it or if it's only repeating things I already know. Yeah. So what should we have talked about that we haven't? I think that the my work is really based on the relentless understanding of and focus on the user experience. And I think that there's a lot that we do to thinking we're earning trust that is not actually helpful or that is performative. Like if in a complicated story, I would like to explain why I trusted the stories involved, the sources involved in this story and why I chose to do the story, but I answer those questions in a really boring video that it takes eight minutes to watch. That's not helping anything because only your mom is going to watch that video. Or you have to be aware of how people are finding, if everyone is searching your website for a piece of information and you did a story, but it had totally the wrong headline on it. And your search engine optimization is all wrong. And people are landing on a story from last year at this time when they were asking a similar question. And there's Mm -hmm. nothing on that story that makes it obvious enough that it's an old story. So you might think, look, we did our job. That's just on them if they find the old story. There's just a lot that gets in the way of trust that is careless on our part as information providers. And so I think that question of, I guess I just would put a bow on this by saying that for me, trust work has to begin by identifying the obstacles to trust. What gets in the way of people finding us credible? And that is going to be different if you're cable news or a weekly community newspaper. It's going to be different depending on whether you have a tight geographic focus or you cover a niche topic 
for the world. And it's really about just a deep understanding of what people are looking for from you and what you what they do and don't understand about you and what you want them to know about you. And so there aren't a lot of cookie cutter solutions, but the concepts of what do you value as an organization and what value you provide, being clear on those things so that you, as, as, a, as you're building a relationship, that's what trust is. As you're building a relationship, what is it based on and what sort of shared understanding and values is it based on? And that's going to be different for different organizations. That's profound. I have to chew on that. I'm a self-centered guy and I just, I apply everything to myself first. We all do. Yeah. And I think about, one of the things that I do in my, my intro to my podcast, as opposed to the intro to an episode, is I just have that, I'm a two-legged cisgender old white man of privilege, to set the context that where I'm coming from, so that in in 10 words or whatever that is, I've laid out something and I wear all these hats that I have, I have different experiences. To try to give a context for whatever tumbles out of my mouth or my channel or my whatever. That's an important part of trust. I think one challenge is that some basic values of news um, can seem outdated in today's news landscape because plenty of people will say that they they prefer to get their news on YouTube and they want to know who's talking to them and they want to be able to see them and they're building a connection. And mm-hmm. that person maybe is honest about where they're coming from. We'll see in the research about news consumers that somebody's saying, I get my information from Christian radio because at least I know where they're coming from. I don't mind that they have a bias and a worldview. They're honest about it. And so this sense that People know that journalists are human beings and that we bring our worldview with us to the job. That's just, there's really no way around that. There are professional standards and practices that keep each other accountable and where we learn to set that aside and fill in the gaps of our own perception and understanding, but we're still human beings. And so I think that honesty and transparency about who we are and where we're coming is key. Anything you want to ask me? I think that I would like to know if what that I have said does not make sense in your world. What have I said about trust that is different than how you would interpret it in your work? Like I said already, I think it's the dimension of transparency that you brought out that I hadn't thought about. Is this an opinion? Is this, am I reporting some history? Am I, what is this? I know that in my work, when I, I had part of my career was I was director of VP of quality management in healthcare. And often I would say to my staff, or I would ask them, or I would preface what I said, that this is grade C, this is grade B, this is grade Z. I have no idea what grade this is. Trying to give some context about what we know. And so I think I had a sense of that. But I don't know that I think about that when I'm listening or reading. Obviously, when I was telling you at the beginning about that, somebody said that there was zero something. I knew that was BS. That just yeah. made no Hyperbolic. sense. Right. It was just like ridiculous. Like, how could that be? And as someone who values precision, then that made you question the credibility of the overall product. 
Yes. Maybe that's another part. It's another part of what you said that intrigues me is you can fall off the cliff of trust when somebody made a mistake. They just made a mistake. And then all of a sudden, you don't trust them anymore. Yep. Wow. So, and sometimes that's valid. Sometimes it's a sign of a much bigger problem or of sloppy work in general. Okay. And sometimes it's like someone transposed two letters when spelling your neighbor's kid's name in the sports section five years ago, and you decided they must just do sloppy work in general. Yeah. It's that is one criteria, and people put value on different things. Yeah. I think this this increasing awareness about trust is really honorable work. I'm really glad you're doing it. I enjoy actually I can handle it in small doses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it really I feel like every time I get into something, it's I was gonna say it's a rabbit hole. That's too dramatic. But it it just lays bare complexity. And it's I don't there's enough complexity. So it is important to take complex topics and make them digestible. And so I guess that's partly what you're trying to do is yeah. give people things to hang on to and think about. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. There's a lot to know and understand. There is. I follow Aaron Carroll. He's a physician at the University of Indiana. He does some great work. What's... Uh... Oh my goodness, I forget the name of it. I'm going to have to edit in the name so that I recognize him. Okay, I remember. Aaron Carroll has a podcast, a YouTube channel called Healthcare Triage. I'll include it in the show notes. I trust him because he really tries to break down the complex. And he'll say how much, how confident he is of something. Mm, Or that it's evolving. Or I thought this is before and it isn't, I don't think this anymore. That's, the, that's, that's what we were saying earlier about valuing the idea that information could change or that not all is known. And for some people, that hinders trust because like you don't even know what you're talking about. And for other people, the acknowledgement that there is something not known or that this story isn't answering all the questions or that something is more complex than you can explain in this format or whatever. Some, mm-hmm. For some people, that, that level of transparency builds trust. Yeah. Thank you. This you is great. I really me. appreciate Uh, you taking the time. Good conversation. And I think those of us who are asking these questions across different industries can learn a lot from each other. Yeah, yeah. Good. All right. I'm sure our paths will cross again. I hope so. Thank you. I love that we circled back to the metaphor of trust as digestible. I think a lot about a nutrition label of trust. I probably won't live long enough to see that developed, tried, tested, and used. There's so much tension in trust. The tension of people's bubbles bouncing against each other as an affective versus cognitive trust, connection versus logic, persuadable or cast in stone, facts, context and opinion. Can we live with what we see when we learn how the sausage of trust is made? As a change agent, I subscribe to Deming's theory of profound understanding. To me, it means understanding as much as you can about organizations, 
and its people and processes and then work on change. Do I really want to provide do I really want a profound understanding of the trust Pete my toes squish in my bubble? Can't I just enjoy it? Thanks to Kayla Nelson, web and social media coach, and Joey Van Leeuwen, musician and arranger. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources through my website, www.health-hats.com. Please subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.